And if you would, when you like to have storms not have much of an effect on you at all when you come across them in life, and I mean metaphorically most of all, be still. Those are two powerful words. And they are mentioned a number of times. We're going to look at three different, four different scenarios, three in the Psalms, one in the Gospels. Um, but I want you to think this way tonight. Uh, when you hear the words, be still, it's often just as much a rebuke as it is a word of comfort. So although it can be an encouragement tonight, um, it's also a challenge to us. Um, to be honest, my parents... Um, told me in church often when I was a child sitting in the pew next to them. We didn't have junior church or anything like that. And I got a little squirmy. I think that was my dad's word. And so he would look at me and he would kind of like snap his fingers. My dad, that was his signal, his cue thing. If you snap his fingers, you are on the verge of spanking next. Um, he told me to be still. When my dad said be still, I didn't take it as words of comfort. Um, it was a rebuke. And I know he meant business. Um, when I got in trouble at home, my dad would tell me, sit in that chair and you better be still until I tell you you can get out of it. Again, no great encouragement there. Um, but I had a problem. And I hate to say it, as much as I got spanked in life, I still squirmed around and got spanked more often because I, wouldn't be, I wasn't able to sit still or I chose not to, obviously. And then you got, I got older. I had a CAT scan once, or I think an MRI or one of the two of them. And they told me, Mr. Walker, you're going to have to be completely still. You can't move. They had to stop in the middle. You're moving. And, and they had to start over again. And they weren't too happy with me because I still wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't very good at being still. And when you get to be an adult, you know, sometimes it's not any better. Um, and I don't mean in the, the same kind of ways, but we struggle, even as adults. In the middle of a storm, when God says, be still, um, m maybe for some of us, that's the last thing that we think that we can do. And we're trying to work it out. We're trying to solve it on our own resources, in our own way, in our own wisdom. And if you look in the original languages in Hebrew and Greek, there are a number of words for be still. Um, but here's what the commonality of all of them are. Is that they mean this, to be silent, be quiet. It, it means this, stop doing what you're doing, cease from activity. Now, don't you get more anxious and you want to get something, that you want to accomplish something, you know, and when you're afraid or when you're in the middle of a storm, you're trying to do everything you can. And to say that you're going to sit still and stop doing everything is incredibly difficult for us, perhaps maybe even more so as Americans. So we're not always good at being still. We want to say something. So when God says, be quiet, don't say anything, that's very difficult for us. We want to do something to resolve the situation. Um, we know about what's happening and we want to change it. And so we, we often need the discipline. And I actually call it the, the discipline of stillness um, tonight in our lives. So we're going to look at four biblical scenarios and, and see what we can discover and learn together tonight about being still. Um, we all need to be still at times when we face circumstances, situation, and difficult people in our lives. So if you want to look at these four passages, let me break it down. If you, if you want to, I, I, I'm big on having a framework for how I talk. And tonight's framework works out this way. There's two psalms, and they talk about being still on the inside. The third psalm in the gospel passage is about how God makes things still on the outside. So there's stillness on the inside, 
and there's stillness on the outside. So we're going to unpack them one at a time and take a look at what means to be still God's way. So let's look at the first ones. Stillness on the inside. Psalm 37, and you know this psalm, uh, 37.4 is probably the most popular verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But there's a context as always. And let me show you how this psalm works, at least in the part where our verses, and let me read our verse, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Now, this psalm portion breaks down with this framework or this book in. Verse 1 says, fret not. Our verse says in the middle of it, verse 7, fret not. Verse 8 says, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. Do you see the idea? I mean, three times in eight verses, uh, one after, one in, and one before our text, it says, don't fret. Now, I, I always think of fret meaning what? Worry, anxiety, but the Hebrew word is not really that. It means to be angry. It literally means to burn or get heated. In other words, that's why I put one of the options on there tonight. What is your response normally to being in a storm and getting angry? And that was true for some people, that you get frustrated. You get angry in a storm because someone else is causing it. So you might get angry at them. Or you get angry at yourself because maybe you think you're in the storm because you made some sinful choices and now the consequences are coming your way. Or you get angry because, whether you vocalize this or not, because God put you in a storm and you don't understand it and you're not really liking it too much. There's a lot of reasons why people can get heated. This psalm, if you look at the very beginning of it, says it's the psalm of David. And you know anything about David, you know he lived a life of battles. He was a fighter, a soldier. He had a lot of enemies. So he was angry often at difficult people in his life that were causing all kinds of trouble for him in Israel. And so in this psalm, and we don't have time to read it all because it's a fairly lengthy psalm, David's emotions are building up. And the more he considers his enemies and his foes and the difficulties and, and the struggle that he's facing, the conflicts, he gets angry. And if you read the psalm, you'll know that he wants to pick up weapons. He wants to take things into his own hands, and he wants to enact revenge on his enemies. But here's the key of understanding the passage. You can't control difficult people, and David could not. But you can control how you respond to difficult people. You can't control how difficult people, but you can control how you respond to them. And let me break it down further. Here's what your response options are. And this is pretty simplistic. But hey, respond with feelings or with faith. Now let me show you what that means in the text. Here's what responding to enemies and difficult people in faith looks like. Watch the commands, verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Okay, watch all of them because they end with the little prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, verse five, 4. Commit your way to the Lord, verse 5. Verse 7, be still before the Lord. See how he goes all four of them in a row. So here's faith puts God in the middle of your conflicts with difficult people. Trust in him, commit your way to him, delight in him, rest or be still in him. That's what God was saying. Now, that's the faith response to that. Uh, instead of getting angry, instead of getting emotional, instead of letting your feelings control you, he says, faith, 
That should control you. Now, the other response is feelings-oriented, that you respond emotionally. And when you do that, you end up saying things and often doing things that you regret, you can't take back. In fact, most of the time, make things worse. Now, here's the problem. Why do people respond with feelings instead of faith? Let me tell you the rest of the psalm in a nutshell. Look it over, study it for yourself. The rest of the psalm, after our text, is a study in contrast between the wicked, or the evil as it's called, and the righteous. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, all the way through Psalm, psalm 37. Here's what the, and here's the difference. When you respond by faith, you are able to have the perspective because you put God into the equation that you don't have to have it all turn out for you the way you want now. You can say, God, I know you're going to handle it. You're in control, and I'll let you bring out the results, but I know ultimately later what's going to happen. Faith has the ability not to have instant gratification. I don't put God in the corner and say, hey God, if you're really in control and you had all the wisdom and power you had, or you really love me, that you do what I think you should do now. That's not faith, that's feelings. Right? So faith says down the road, and you can see it in a couple of examples, and it says in verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked. Why? For he sees that his day is coming. So imagine this, you have a storm coming in your life, you got really difficult people, here's what God says, he sees that stuff and he laughs at it. You say, well, Pastor Walker, when that kind of stuff happens to me, the last thing I think I would ever do is have a laugh. But see, it could change your whole response, that you could see things in the perspective, it's different, why? Because like God, you can see the day is coming, God is going to rectify things, God is going to make it right, God's going to be a God of justice, it says that in the psalm, and he's going to do it, God's going to set it straight. He sees their day is coming. It says later on, their sword shall enter their own heart. In other words, right now, David says, hey, their swords are trying to enter my heart. They're trying to kill me. But God says, you know what? Someday, the very weapons that they try to threaten you with, God says, I'm going to turn them back on their own selves. See, God says, listen, I can see down the road. I can see the future. And when you trust in me, commit your way to me, delight in me, and be still before me, You'll have the eyes of faith that I can give you, that you can see beyond what's happening right in front of your face and see beyond what God's going to do, and you'll be able to handle it far different. Now, there's a catch, though. Let me add one more piece to it. There are two verses in this psalm that talk about inheriting the land, right? And verse 11 is the most famous by far. It's quoted by Jesus in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 5, and here's what it says. But the meek shall inherit the land. And I'm always asking, when God says be still, what does being still look like? I mean, how would I know if I'm being still? How does it really happen in difficult people's circumstances? Verse 22 says, those who are blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. So put those two together because other than the first part, they're interchangeable. Both of them are going to inherit the land. But what do the two things say? One is that if you're meek, and one, the other one is you're blessed by God. So put the beatitude together, Jesus. Blessed are those who are meek. So Jesus puts those two together and says, you know what? You want to inherit the land down the road, the future that I have for you. You want to get all the promises. Look down the road. I know you're looking right now at your enemies and your foes and people are keeping you from what you think you should have in life. But here's what he says. I'm going to give you the future that I told you I was going to give you. But here's how you get it. Here's how you be still. You know how you do? Meekness is stillness. What is meekness? Power under control. All through the psalm in the very beginning, 
know what David's telling himself? I want to take power myself. I want to power over. I want to get my weapons. I want to fight. I want to get back at these guys. I want to take it into my own hands. And see, that's the thing that we do when it comes to difficult people. We want to power over. We want to do it our way. We want to punish them. We want to take it out on them. We want to defeat them. We want to show them who's really boss. And here's what God says to David. So you know who gets the promises? You know who the future has, in st- who the future God has in store for them? You know who it is? It's those people who not power over, but those who power under. That's the blessing. The blessing isn't getting what you want now. It's being powered under so that you get what God wants later. Now see, that's not what our culture would teach. That's not what we normally feel or experience. And if we, if we go by our feelings, this will seem absolutely impossible. But when you go by faith, see, it'll be completely different. So be still on the inside. So David wants to do what he does best. He wants to war, and God says for him to wait. Be still, what? Before the Lord, and what does it say next? Waiting patiently. That is exegetical, which means it explains what be still means. Be still means stop trying to solve it yourself and wait on me. See, David wants to war. God says to wait. Do you see what our problem is? We want to fight. We want to do what we can do. We want to, and God says, no, no, here's what you do. Wait, and not just wait. Wait patiently. You know what that means? You may be waiting a while. Are we good at waiting a while? Only at amusement parks. I'm still not that good at it. I expect to go to the long lines of the roller coasters, right? I expect that. But I don't like waiting at a stoplight. I don't like waiting in a doctor's office. I certainly don't like waiting at the DMV of all places. We don't, we're not good at waiting. We're waiting for something in the mail. We order furniture. Have you tried to order anything of size or, or, during COVID? That'll be six months for that refrigerator. We don't like to wait. We get very angry at it. God says, wait and wait patiently, he says. You remember the story of Moses? Talk about storms, so to speak. They're right by the Red Sea. Now, did you know Red, the Red Sea crossing was a battle? You probably don't even think of it that way, but it was. And there's a Red Sea. They're backed up against the Red Sea. And by the way, who, put, who told them to take that route? God. Now they get there, and they're backed up to the Red Sea. There's no way out. Pharaoh and his chariots, by the way, lots of them, lots of soldiers. They have no weapons, no chariots. They don't have a standing army whatsoever. And God's backed them up there. And they cry out to Moses. If you read Exodus 14, verses 11 and 12, here's the, here it is, the criticism, ready? Uh, why did you bring us out in the desert to die? We're going to be killed by Pharaoh. Thank you. <laughs> You're taking us out to die in the wilderness. Why have you done this to bring us out of Egypt? Keep going, verse 12. Um, and it says, it's not what we said you in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It's better for the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh, here it is. You know, why are we doing this? This is going to fail. You're awful. How could you, Moses? Blah, blah, blah. Right? So that's what they're saying. And what does God say? And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm. You know, stand firm, stand still. And that's the King James, I think, or New King James says stand still means stand firm. Stand right where you are. Don't do a thing. In fact, look at this. (laughs) He goes, the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. Now watch the next verse. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. And you all, here's what you have to do. Zip it. (laughs) 
That's what you have to do. You want to win this battle? Your only job. Close your mouth. Hush it. Be silent. See, be still. Remember I told you it means? Be quiet. You know what? This is what they were doing. Oh God, what are you doing? Why are you in the wilderness? Blah, blah, blah. You, you know, do something wrong. See, God says, you know what? That's not how you win battles. I'm going to fight for you. You're going to do nothing. I'm going to put them all in the water. You're never going to see them again. You're going to drown. They're going to, everyone, I'm going to drown. And they've got on the other side. They look back at the shore, the other side, and they can see all the Egyptian bodies and the chariots and the wheels came off. You know what they had to do? Be quiet. Be still. And know that he is God. Right? What did, he, what did God say about the Egyptians? You know why God did it this way? You know why he backed them up into the Red Sea? You know why he took their wheels off? And you know why Israel did nothing to win the battle? Here's what he says. So the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That's why. Can you have the capacity in your faith to say this? That ultimately, this is hard pill swallow, right? You've got to have humility. That all the problems and storms that come in your life, you know what? They're not ultimately about you. Can you handle that? You know what they're ultimately about? God does what he does and backs you up places and puts storms in your life, impossible situations. You know why? So that people will know that he is God. Isn't that what the next one is? Psalm 46, would you turn there? Let me lead into that. Psalm 46. Be still, verse 10, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Do you, you understand this? You know why God does the things he does? Because he's interested in not just you knowing he's God, although he does that and we need reminded, but he wants the nations to know it. Again, let me tell you about this psalm. This is a psalm the Bible says at the beginning. Look at the reference at the beginning. It's for the choir master, the sons of Korah. They designed the worship services. We would call them the worship leaders today. According to Alamoth, this is the only psalm in the entire Bible that is written for women to sing in the tabernacle. This is for the women to sing. And the reason is, is because Jerusalem, God's city, is called a woman because that's God's bride. And I think it says in verse 5, if I'm not mistaken, God is in the midst of her. So this is a relational psalm. God wants to show that he has a bride and Israel, his people, is his bride. So he wants to say this. I want you to know, because you're my bride, people of Israel, that I care about you. I love you. Because in that sense, spiritually, we're married together. And so here's what God says. You can be still on the inside. Now notice, if you, if you look at this whole psalm, it's not very long comparatively, but there's things going on inside the city and there's things going on outside the city. And outside the enemy city, as you can guess, are the enemies and all the things that could hurt Israel and harm Israel and God's bride. But what matters most <coughs> is what's going on inside the city. And notice verse 46, chapter 46 and verse 2 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. See, no fear on the inside is, be, is the reason why they can be still. But why is it? Now catch this. It's not because there's not bad things and bad situations and people on the outside. Outside of the city, there's problems. But it's what's inside the city that gives them the stillness. What is on the inside of the city? The mountains could be moved and all the, the things that should never be moved but God says, because, verse 5, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. 
See, the nations rage. They come after Israel, but they can't break in. They can't beat them. They can't defeat them. They can't kill them. And here's why. Not because Israel is there, but because God is there. God is on the inside. And all he has to do, look at this. He utters his voice and the land or the earth melts. God, listen to this. He doesn't have to do anything but say it. He just says the word and they're done. Isn't that what Martin Luther said in Mighty Fortress? One little word will fell them. <laughs> and then he goes on a couple more times in the middle and the end he says well the Lord of Jacob is with us the Lord of Jacob was with us now watch how does the fight end he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth verse 8 he breaks the bow he shatters the spear he burns remember what we said in 4 trust in the Lord commit your way to him delight in him be still watch the progression here's what he says come behold the works of the Lord See, watch what God can do in your troubles. Watch what God says. Here's the basis for being still. God, come watch what he can do. He can bring desolations. He can cause the war to cease. He can break the bow, shatter the spears, burn the chariots. Here's what it means. You can fight people that are more in number with you, have all the skill, the technology, the weaponry that you don't have. Weapons, bows, spears, chariots. They have all this stuff, and it doesn't matter. One hill of beans. Because all God has to do is say the word, and it's over. He can handle any army, any technology, no matter what they have. So he says, on that basis, he says, be still and know that I'm God. Put it this way in your mind. Stop and acknowledge right now in the middle of your storm, the storm going on inside, you're fighting off the fears and the worry and what's going to happen on the outside. You focus on the inside and who I am in your life. And tell yourself this when you go to work tomorrow. My boss is not God. You are. Tell him that. Be still and know I'm God. See, your coworkers that give you all the hassle at work because you're a Christian and you don't do this and you do these. See, tell, let me tell you this. They're not God. He is. Your enemies, people who would despitefully use you, they're not God. He is. Let me say it one more time strongly. You are not God. He is. You're not in control. So stop acting like it. Joseph had brothers, and you know it, got sold into slavery. You know what Joseph had to say all throughout his life? You know how he kept the perspective he did? You know how he was able to be still in some of the worst circumstances for 13 years? Listen, 13 years. Talk about wait patiently. 13 years. He had, my brothers are not God. He had to say it to himself because it looked like they were. In fact, at the end of the story, when he could power over, remember I told you that's what our feelings want, power over, he still powers under. He says, you meant it for evil, watch, but let me put God in the grave. But God meant it for good, as it is this day. Watch, bigger story. Not just me and what you did to me, but to save my family, to save all of you alive. He goes, and I will take care of you and your children. Look at that. How does he have such a generous, kind, loving, merciful response? How does he have responses like that to very, very difficult people in his own family? Because he said this, I know that my brothers are not God. God meant it for good. He'd have to say this, after, being, after all he went through, he's starting to succeed in, fair, in Potiphar's house. His wife does all this junk he gets thrown in prison for a crime he didn't do, and he had to come to himself and say this, Potiphar and his wife are not God. They're not. Yahweh is. 
He gets left in prison for a couple years. He is forgotten by the butler and baker, whoever those were, right? He's forgotten by them. And he could think to himself, oh God. But he didn't. He said, oh God, you're in control. See, he says, you're God, not them. And so he's able to say, God brought me here. God did this. Read chapter 45 of Genesis, verses 1 through 5, 7, 9. He can't stop talking about God in here. That's why Joseph could be still. That's why when he had the chance, he didn't power over and take vengeance. You know why? Because he trusted God. Not feelings, by faith. See, there's stillness on the inside. Psalm 37 and 46 say, hey, if God doesn't change the outside... He can change me on the inside. He can bring an inner stillness in my life. Secondly, storms on the outside. Psalm 107, if you would. Sometimes God stills us on the inside without changing the outside. Watch. But the reverse is also true. Sometimes God stills the outside so he can change us on the inside. The framework of Psalm 107 is four scenarios followed by an explanation at the end. And those scenarios all have this in common. They cried to the Lord. Verse 6, 13, 19, 28. That's how it's marked off. People in difficult circumstances, not just difficult people, difficult circumstances, and they cry to the Lord. Okay? The other thing that marks it off is that it ends each scenario with this little phrase. Oh, that the the, the, the uh, sons of men, or uh, I've got the English version of it, the Hebrew, the sons of men would give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. I think some translations have goodness, but it has said his steadfast love. And, and it marks in his wonderful works to the children of men or sons of men, right? That's how it's marked off. And so there are four scenarios, verses 1 through 8, he delivers people out of the wilderness. 9 through 15, he delivers people out of darkness. 16 through 22, out of sickness. 23 through 32, out of helplessness. So all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different problems and scenarios, but God delivers them out of them all. Now most commentators think, by the description in the original language, that the problem that they're in the wilderness, the darkness and the sickness and the helplessness is because of their own wrong and at most of the time sinful choices. So here's what God, we can even be still in our lives, when everything around us is anything but still, see, storms on the outside caused by you and some of your choices. And what do you do in those circumstances when some of the things you've done and now there's a storm out there, i.e. Jonah? Well, here's what you have to realize about this situation, verse 25. For he commanded, meaning God, and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Here's what you got to know, even the storms that you cause. Ready? God commands, and he calms the storm. Both. Later on in the verses, verse 29, it says, and God calms the storms. But here's what you got to know. He commands them. He, com he starts them, and he finishes them. Right? He doesn't just allow storms. He makes the storms. He brings the storm. Do you see what Joseph said? 
You meant it, my brothers. You meant it for evil. You purposed it. You planned it. You did it on purpose. But he uses the exact same verb for what God did. But God allowed it. He didn't say that. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Here's the great comfort in that. Even in your sinful choices, that sin and evildoers and people have planned things. And when evil, you do even sin for yourself. There's awful consequences. But even God is over that. God's purposes and sovereignty are overarching even the sinful choices that men make and what you make. He's still in control of the storms, all of them. And notice what he says, how much? He says, well, the winds and the waves are so strong that it pushes the boat up and then the valleys are so great and, the cre- and it comes to the bo- come down. So it's like a roller coaster. I mean, I'm getting seasick thinking about it. And God says, listen, I control not only the storm from start to finish, but everything in between, the severity of it, how big the waves are, how strong the winds are. He controls all of it. The storm's so bad. Have you ever felt this way? They lost courage, it says, and their courage melts away. All they have is fear. You ever been in a circumstance and you you did this or said this? Oh, you're so afraid of how it's going to turn out. It says they were so bad they reeled and staggered like a drunk man. I mean, you're all over the map. I mean, you don't even know where to go, where to turn. In fact, it says they're at their wit's end. That's where I said this was a deliverance out of helplessness. I mean, they have come to the place where they don't know what to do. There is no more wisdom. There is no more options. And you think, where am I going to go from this? How will I ever recover from this in your life? See, you can't save yourself from the storm, and God wants you to know that. God has to do it. And I love the verses. Would you look at that? The Bible says in verse number 28, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from the distresses. Watch what he does. He made the storm, here's our phrase, be still. And the waves and the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that they were at, the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Now watch the words. See, still, hushed, quiet. See, God can quiet you and he also can quiet the storm. And see, when it's hard for you to be still inside because of some choices you've made, God says, I can come. Would you cry out to me? Would you repent? Would you cry to me and say, God, come into my life and save me. Give me the distress, save me from the distresses. God, calm the storm outside. And sometimes, not always, God does that for us. He stills, he hushes, he quiets. I put on my notes, it's like God is talking to a little child. That's what you say to him. Hush, now be quiet. That's the Hebrew word. It's such like a little staccato command. Like, shh, be quiet. That's what kind of authority God has. But why would God do that for people who got themselves into this position to begin with? Well, it says, oh, that the men, children of men would give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. You know why he does it? Because he loves his people. He's unconditionally in love with them. And he takes care of them. So tonight, stormy marriages are for your good. He wants to display his steadfast love in your stormy finances, in your stormy health crisis, in your stormy battles against sin that you keep being defeated by. See, here's what God wants you to do. Call on me. Cry to me. You can't save yourself. You've got to start depending on me. Storms make us dependent because when we're not going to make it to the shore, 
We cry out to God. He says, would to God you'd start there, he says. And lastly, can I say Mark chapter 4? Last scenario. Be still. Discipline of stillness. Mark 4, verse 35. Here's again, last one, framework. Let me give you one more. Verse 37 talks about great. It's the Greek word mega. You know that means mega gulp at 7-Eleven. This is big. Great windstorm, verse 37. Great calm, verse 39. Great fear, verse 41. This is a mega story. There are three mega events, all described by great. There also happens to be in the framework of this little paragraph, three questions asked. The first one is, do you not care that we are perishing? Question asked by the disciples to Jesus. Jesus turns around and asks the last, the middle one and says, how is it that you have no faith? Why are you fearing? Why do you have no faith? That's Jesus's question. And then the one that everybody's asking in a sense is the last one. That's the one I'm going to take a few minutes on. Who is this? that even the wind and sea obey him. Now you've got to understand, these are experienced sailors. They've been on the Sea of Galilee and fished their whole life. They've seen storms come and go. If you know anything about the elevation, it's got highs and big lows. I mean, thousands of feet in elevation differ. That's why the Sea of Galilee gets lots of storms. A lot of crazy fronts come in, and it can whip up a storm like that. It can be pretty severe, and this was one of them. The winds are going. The waves are going. I mean, it's a bad one. And notice they say, Master... We, we, are, we may die from this. No, what do they say? We are dying. We're perishing. <laughs> These are the professional guys who know this. We are not making it through the storm. We're not. Jesus, don't you care? Now watch. Simple but true. Watch. Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still. That's our word. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't whip his wand out of his pocket and goes abracadabra. He doesn't do that. You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't conjure up something by magical words. He doesn't say, like a lot of people in the Bible, well, in the name of, remember the disciples, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to stand up. And walk. He doesn't do in the name of anybody. He doesn't call on a higher power to stop the storm. You know why? He is the higher power. Have we learned anything so far from the Psalms? What did the Psalms teach us about people, about storms? Who starts storms? Who controls storms? Who finishes storms? Who can make them happen? God. He's the only one. So the question is, who is this? Who is the one in control of the storm? Jesus. You know what it means? Because he doesn't conjure. He doesn't say to He is the higher. He is God. That's the conclusion. See? He is God. And he commands the storm. And it says, he says, peace be still, watch. And the winds stop and the waves stop. If you've ever been on the ocean, you've ever been out on a sea, you'll know this. You can calm the winds. If they've been going together for a while, you can calm the winds. But what happens to the waves? Do they just go placid? No, they keep going. They keep big breakers. They can have big waves. And it goes on for hours and maybe even for a day. But when you have the power for the wind to stop immediately and the waves to stop immediately, that is infinitely supernatural. 
That's a power that is out there. I mean, beyond anything that you and I can comprehend. And what's the, per- what's the principle? Well, Jesus has the ability and the authority to stop storms. And by the way, can I just say this? He re- it says he rebukes it when he says be still. It's the same word used in Mark 1 and verse 25 where it says he rebuked the demon. Here's what he said to the demon. Here's what he says to the storm. Be quiet. Be still. And you know what he proves? And he's shown the disciples already. Watch, this is important for our close. That he already has the authority over all of these things. He has healed sick people, demon, demonized people. He's healed all kinds of diseases. He's already shown them how much authority he has. They've been with him for a long time. He already has shown them how much he cares. So here's what Jesus says. Listen to this. So he rebukes them, and then you know what he says to them? Why are you so fearful? And you say, come on. Are you really serious? I mean, you're in a storm. The boats got filled with water, and they think they're going to die. And you're asking me why I would ask you if I'm afraid, why I'm afraid? You're going to ask me that? Have you ever thought about this to God? I'm so afraid. God, is this going to happen? I don't know how this test is going to come back from the doctor. I don't know how this is going to turn out with my job. I don't know how this is going to handle my kids or my marriage. And what would you do if Jesus stood there and said, why are you so afraid of this? And you go, are you serious? Look what's at stake. And Jesus says, no, you have no right to be afraid. You have no right. He says, where is your faith? You know what he says? Because I've already showed you that I care for you. I've already shown you I have authority and power. And and here's what their response is. Well, if you really loved us, you wouldn't have put us in the storm to begin with. Isn't that what's saying? You don't care we're perishing? You're not gonna get up and do anything? So let me ask you again from the quiz, the survey. You've never said that to God? You've never said, God, why are you allowing this in my life? Why would you do this? Why would you put me in this place? Why would this storm come? Why have you put me here to begin with? You've never said it, and, and if you have, you may have said it because, hey, if you really cared, if you really cared, you'd fix my marriage. If you really cared, you'd give me this kind of job and you'd give it to me when I need it. You'd really fix my children. Here's what Jesus says. Your premise is completely wrong. You know why? Because I do, peop- I do allow people that I love to go through storms. I do. And you, the premise is wrong from the get-go. I let people I love go through storms. You know why they're really scared? This is my opinion in the end. You know why I think they're really scared? It's because they found out this. They couldn't control the storm. But you know what was even scarier? They couldn't control Jesus either. Can I tell you who Jesus is? He's God. Let me warn you. And he cannot be managed by you. He cannot be managed by you. You cannot tell him that his love must be defined by what you want, when you want, and how you want it. If you have that in mind, you will never be still. You won't be still. See, if you say, if you really want to love God, if you really love me, here's what you have to do. And God, Jesus says back to you, you know, if, if you really trusted me and knew that I loved you, then in the storm you wouldn't have been afraid. The storm can go on outside of you, but inside, you're fine, i.e. Peter, fine walking on the water with everything bad around him until he took his eyes off of Jesus, and that's exactly what we do sometimes. Someday, can I tell you? The disciples didn't have this vantage, but we do. Someday, from them, 
Jesus was going to calm the biggest storm ever, and that is the one that could sink us for eternity, and that is our sin. He died on the cross for us. That is the greatest storm we'll ever face, and he's conquered it. So here's the argument. Can't we go from the greater to the lesser? If Jesus can handle the greatest storm of our lives and say, peace be still to your soul because I've forgiven your sins, what do you think he can do for all the lesser ones? Listen to Paul say it this way. He who did not spare his own son, this is the greater. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Watch. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? If he can do this, can he do this? So if he can handle the greatest storm of your life, can he handle these smaller ones by comparison? The answer is yes. So what do we do in response? Be Still, be still and know that I am God. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not overflow. For I'll be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. You and I can be still and know that he's God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these scenarios. Thank you for, ultimately, for Jesus, who has calmed the greatest storm ever, and that is our sin Lord, we're thankful that you spoke those words to our soul those days long ago for most of us when we became Christians. Peace to you. Peace and pardon forever. And God, based on that, may we learn to be still in all circumstances, all storms, no matter what they are, knowing who you are and what you've done. God, help us to be able to do that the more. And we'll thank you for that and give you glory for your steadfast love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.